Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you for graciously revealing yourself to us in our deafness and blindness, in our sin and transgression. Lord, in our callousness and hardness of heart, you woo us to yourself. Lord, transform us tonight. Draw us close to your heart that we may hear you. Thank you, Lord. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. It is the last Sunday in August, and I am proud to proclaim it is not 100 degrees outside. It's worth a fist pump. There you go, Nelson. Who would have thought? Nelson with the fist pump. Who are you? Seriously, who are you? Think about that question for a minute. And before you answer it, I have a second question, which is totally like me. Who are you and how do you know who you are? We have another ironic passage tonight. Last week, we saw how the miracle was not really the miracle. The miracle of a Canaanite woman's daughter being healed at a great distance by Jesus, that wasn't really the miracle. The miracle was the persistence and the beauty and the tenacity of this woman's faith. This Canaanite woman who had no business having faith in Jesus, who had no business in calling him the son of David. And tonight, again, an ironic moment where Jesus asks the question, who am I? Not because he doesn't know, but he asks the question to his disciples and he puts it first in the third person. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, he asks this question in Caesarea Philippi. You all know that I'm slightly nerdy, right? And if you didn't know, then now you do. I got so excited to discover more of where is Caesarea Philippi and what's it all about. Amy and I are going to to the Holy Land. Do we still call it the Holy Land? The Holy Land. Just feels like an outdated thing. We're going to Israel this fall. And I wanted to see where Caesarea Philippi is. And and what, more importantly, is the significance of Jesus asking this question in that spot? Well, Caesarea Philippi was north of the Sea of Galilee. And it was controlled by Philip, one of Herod the Great's sons. And it was uh, the city of Panis, where the Greek god of Pan... There was a special cave where he was worshipped. And he changed the name to Caesarea Philippi. He built a beautiful uh, city right around the edges of the headwaters of the Jordan River. But the most important thing about Caesarea Philippi is that none of those pesky Pharisees or scribes would be up there. 
And there weren't very many Jews, mostly non-Jews and Greeks were in that area. So Jesus had retreated from the crowds who were either A, thronging to make him king, military ruler, Messiah, finally we'll kick the Romans' butts, finally we'll get him out of here, finally the Cowboys have a quarterback, that kind of, of a sense. He wanted to get away from those people, but also from the Pharisees who were narrowing in on him and, and pinching down on him, testing him. And so it's in that place that he asks the question, who do they say the Son of Man is? And the disciples have some good answers. Elijah, Jeremiah, yada, 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 prophets, you know, good, good um, guesses, good estimates. But Jesus turns the corner, turns the hinge and says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter, who was called one of little faith. Remember when Jesus said that to him? Oh, you of little faith. Almost like a nickname. Names are important tonight. Peter stands up like a natural leader and says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What is Jesus' response? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. So Peter evidently has answered correctly. A blessed is like a 100 in Hebrew school. Blessed are you, 100. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Remember, when Peter was called as a disciple, he was called as Simon. It was only later that he was known as <clears throat> Simon Peter. But here... In Matthew 16, we see how and why and where Jesus changes his name. And we see in Peter some transformations. A transformation of his name, transformation of his role, and a transformation of his authority. Yes, it is groundbreaking and earth-shattering that from the lips of flesh and blood, comes an eternal truth that was revealed to him not by flesh and blood, but by Jesus' Father in heaven. But I want you to remember that question that I asked you at the beginning of the sermon. Who are you? And how do you know? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, there on page 3 in your bulletin. And I tell you, Simon, you are now Peter. Wait a minute, Jesus. You've been turning things upside down, making them whim-whamsical, topsy-turvy, but now you're changing Simon's name to Peter? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. First, he changes his name from Simon to Peter. Petrus in Latin, Petros, Greek, the rock. Way before Dwayne Thompson. Is it Dwayne Thompson? See the rock? Chris is my pop culture helper. You are the rock, Peter. So 
the, ch- the changing of name isn't just a symbolic thing, like when George Costanza wanted no longer to be called George, but to be called, anybody remember? T-Bone. T-Bone. And instead of being called T-Bone, much to his chagrin, they ended up calling him Coco the monkey. But that's not important right now. This changing of name has much significance. You are Peter. The next phrase tells us the significance. And on this rock, I will build my church. There's a transformation in Peter's identity. His name, excuse me. There's a transformation in his role. Peter had been the natural leader of the disciples. If they were going to go ziplining or go on a scary ride or do something, Peter was the first one to step up. He was the natural spokesman, the natural head of the gang. But now Peter's role changes a little bit. You are the rock, Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, for those of you who are afraid of Peter being called the rock, I want to alleviate you of any fears that says that Peter has an extra special role of authority in the life of the church. Well, he does. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, and on this rock, this nebulous rock of faith that you have. No, he's saying, Peter, you are the rock. And on you, you're going to be the cornerstone of the new community of the Messiah, the cornerstone of the new creation. Now, later, people would say, and that makes him the first pope. Well, that's up for debate. But what I'm saying tonight is that Peter was the rock, the man, the person, the one who went from the natural leader to the one where Jesus proclaimed to the disciples and to us that he was the one through whom God would build his church. So there's a name change. There's a role change from natural leader to, yeah, you're, you're the appointed leader, Peter. And lastly, to an authority change. On this rock I will build my church, and over on page 4, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I don't think Jesus was thinking of St. Peter standing at the gates of heaven literally like a uh, eschatological doorman. Excuse me, sir. Let's see your ID. That's not what Jesus is saying. Having the keys of the kingdom means that he is going to be the authority. He's going to be the administrator of this new reality that the crucified, ascended, and risen Christ came to bring upon the earth. I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And with that authority of this spiritual and human organization of the church. And yes, Jesus uses that word, the church, the gathering, the coming together of God's people, this new community. In that community, you will have spiritual authority that what you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. What you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. In other words, Jesus is giving 
his leader, Peter, and leaders from generations to come, authority in that group of people. So Peter has a name change. He has a role change. He has an authority change. And all this transformation is wrapped up in what? Who is Peter? That's right. This all has to do with Peter's identity. Now think about the question I asked you at the beginning of the sermon. Who are you? You can answer that question with a variety of statements. Well, Jay, I'm a citizen of the United States. I live in Dallas. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a kid. I'm a grandfather. I'm a grandmother. I'm a New York Giants fan. You know, fill in the blank. But the reality of our identity is really the core of who we are. You see, throughout life, we've been labeled. We've been given good labels from our parents and our grandparents and teachers. Oh, you're so responsible. You're so, third grade, conscientious, Jay. Oh, I'm conscientious. Or we've been given negative labels. Labels really from the pit of hell. Labels that totally contradict God's reality for us. You're worthless. No one loves you, etc., etc. And for the most part, our lives are probably a struggle to either shake those names and labels or to live into them. Well, yes, I am conscientious. Well, I do like things to be orderly and just so and maybe a little perfect. So maybe I am a perfectionist. And odds are that the more you get to know yourself in light of those labels, whether good or bad, odds are that there is a dissonance in you. That you experience both disappointment and failure when you can't live up to those, or you experience shame and wounding when all they do is drag you down. And we find ourselves striving I love Dallas. Dallas is my home. And it's a city that can catalyze, engender, and perpetuate striving. We're so image-obsessed in our city. And whether, we, whether we, we're willing to acknowledge it or not, we are. It's true. But we're not meant to strive to fulfill that image, whatever that image is. We're not meant to strive against that you're worthless, no one loves you. We're not meant to strive to fulfill, no matter how good these qualities may be, you're conscientious, you're so good, you're, you're so funny, people love you. You're meant to fulfill the core identity of who the Father says you are. Now look at Peter. Look what happens. The more that God reveals himself to Peter, in other words, when he proclaims Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the more our Father, the Father in heaven reveals himself to Peter, in this instance, what happens? 
the more clarity Peter has from God in his identity. When Peter gets clear on who Jesus is, Jesus can be very clear with Peter who he is. And I think the same holds true for you and for me. The clearer we are on who God is, the more we understand and hear his his call of love, the more we see his magnificence and grandeur, the more we see how powerful he is. Hopefully seeing the eclipse Monday or pictures of it gave you a picture of the power of God. Helped call forth in you a refrain like that of St. Paul's. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and riches and knowledge of God. The more we perceive that, the friendship and the fear of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the more he can impart to us our core identity. Now, we know that as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we know there's a completely objective peace and beautiful truth of our identity in God. In union with Christ, we're a new creation. We're completely cleansed and forgiven from sin, yet still sinful. We're living already as new creatures, but still in this old kingdom of the earth, city of God and the city of man at war with one another. We're a son of God or a daughter of God, adopted into the highest status humanly possible. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. So the Bible is replete with the truth of who we are, the objective reality of our identity. And we have to know that. Why do we have to know that? Because there's an enemy whose voice can sometimes, sometimes sound like the shepherd, but he's deceptively not and decidedly not the shepherd. He's the thief, Jesus says, who comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. So we must know the objective reality, the unquestionable identity that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, sealed on us by the Holy Spirit, reteaching to us over and over by the Spirit's presence in our lives. But there's also a core identity to who we are as individuals. As the psalmist so mysteriously and beautifully said, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together just so in my mother's womb. All those things that that you may not like about yourself, those are on purpose. That's not a cruel trick. It's not a prank. It's part of how God made you. It's something that the Father delights in. Those visions that you've had from God, the call that you perceive on your life, the names that He has spoken over you, those are key and core to our identity. Now they're buttressed and undergirded and held up by that objective reality we find in Scripture in Christ Jesus. But they're confirmed, cultivated, 
revitalized and brought to new life by the life of the Spirit within us, by the life of God's community around us. We need each other. Did you know that? I need people who will tell me things straight. So I keep people around me that won't give me the, the sugar-coated version. I need people to tell me about my blind spots. I need people to say, are you hurting? Because the way you reacted just then makes me think, <laughs> I've upset you. Friends, we need people just like that to cultivate what God is doing. Who are you? Think about that for a minute. Just let the, the list of descriptors run through your mind. Who are you? How do you know? How do you know you're loved? How do you know God is good? How can we be sure? As Peter drew closer and closer to the Father, literally in the presence of Jesus, it was the Father's good pleasure to speak through Christ this transformation in Peter that really was wrapped up in his identity, his name, his role, his authority. But do you know what happens just a few verses later? Remember, names are important. Peter goes from the rock on whom Jesus will build his church, against which the gates of hell will not prevail, to get behind me, Satan. Jesus literally calls Peter Satan. So take heart. We have a picture. We have a vision. We have a sense of the identity of who we really are at the depth of our being, but it's a long, long road. And that's what brings meaning to the trials. That's what brings meanings to the struggles. That's what brings meaning to the wounding, to the shame. Instead of seeing the labels and the names as a liability, as a past we'll never be able to escape, we begin to see them as a gift. Because through those, our Father has been working His mysterious purpose of transforming us, of transforming our name, our role, our authority, from His image ever more deeply into His likeness. Because we're members of that new community built on Jesus, built on Peter. Who are you? How do you know? Let's take a minute. Be still, be quiet. And Father, we beg you right now, by the power of your Spirit, to speak over us who we are. Testify to us now, Holy Spirit, our core identity in our Lord Jesus. Just listen.
Lord God, we thank you for speaking to us. Holy Spirit, seal in our hearts the words that have been spoken. Lord Jesus, lead us forth in courage. And Father, we beg you to remind us that you're presiding over all of us in goodness, power, and love. 